Hi, I'm Paul Shepard, your Mindset Coach, and I'm here to welcome you to the Mindset Change Podcast, helping you change your mindset so you can create the life you truly want to live. Today, I am very excited to have on the show Marina Fernandez-Julian, who is an NLP practitioner, trainer, coach, and author of a wonderful book called Balance, Living a Life True to Yourself. Now, I met Marina at the beginning of the year and had the pleasure of listening to her talk about her life, her coaching, and journey about how the book was created. Now, I knew in that moment I had to have her on the show, and here she is. I know you guys will love what Marina has to say. It resonates with me, and I hope it resonates with you. Welcome, Marina. Hello. Thank you for having me. My pleasure, my pleasure. So I'm going to ask you a question I ask most of my guests. What does mindset change mean to you? Mindset for me is everything. Mindset change, mindset is a set of beliefs, I believe, that shape your reality, shape the way you behave, think, act, and ultimately your reality. And mindset change is that capacity to take your life and that set of beliefs as well, of course, and that capacity to actually act on it and take your life to where you want it without a mindset change. And the change says, says it all. Uh, you will always get that step behind to, from where you want to be. So mindset change for me is a set of change, it's a set of beliefs, it's a different pair of glasses in the way that you look at your life and how your life can, can sort, of, sort of play out. Nice, nice answer. Um, so you live here in my favorite city of Brighton and you have quite an interesting story of how you ended up here. This is, this is very brave of you, what you did. Can you let people in on what you, what you did to come to, to, come to Brighton? Yeah. Sure. Um, I was living in London. Coming to England wasn't even never on the cards. Um, I just had a voice when I was in Spain telling me to move. To move. You know, I was working for quite a long time, more than 10 years. And that voice said to me, it's time to move. So I tried to ignore it at the beginning, but it didn't happen. So one day, all I knew is that my girlfriends were in London and, and I just came to see them. Move, move anywhere, just go to London. So I came to see them in London and stayed there for a little bit, a little bit that became a year. And it became very clear to me that I wasn't in the right place. I'm very zesty, very, very lively. And, and I, you know, my lenses at the time, I could see everything was very gray around me. So again, I had a voice that said, you, you, you know, you don't belong here. Move, move. And of course, um, I didn't ignore that voice anymore because I already heard it before. So I asked a friend, where can I go? You know, I live in England. This is not my place. Where can I go? And they said, well, go to Victoria Station. All the trains depart from there. So I went with a little rucksack and closed for three days. That's all. And wow. I went to Victoria <laughs> Station. And, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and a lady in front of me said, one single ticket to Brighton, please. And then it was my, my, my turn. 
and all that came out of my mouth. My intention was to figure out where to go, but all that came out of my mouth was one single ticket to Brighton, please. <laughs> and that's how I ended up in Brighton. <laughs> so and, and, I, and, uh, as soon... What was... Yeah. Go, go. What was that like for you? What was it like when you got to Brighton? Oh, my gosh. I can only define it like a, something within me. As soon as I came out of the station, I felt this incredible... I don't know, this immense energy. And as, as soon as I was walking down the road, the first thing that came out of my mouth was, I'm going to live here. And that I was my, my mind was like, what? And my heart was like, yeah, I'm going to live here. And again, my mind was like, you're crazy. When you were living a second ago, and now you want to live here. So I walked down, down the road and I ended up on the beach. And it was a sunny day in May. And I saw everybody was so free and, they were, you know, playing volleyball on the beach. And I remember distinctively there was music, life, a live band in the music hall. And I remember distinctively there was a man with a top hat and he has flowers coming out of his top hat. <laughs> and I look around and I thought, wow, I am going to live here. This is my place. And then, as you can imagine, I had to, I had this internal battle with myself, an external battle of convincing myself why I couldn't live here. I already, I told my parents I was going to go back to Spain in six months. I became a year. And then I told them I was never going to leave my girlfriends. And all of a sudden, I was coming to live in Brighton by myself. No job, no friends, no house, nothing. And it's the wow. best thing I ever done in my life. It, Brighton has that vibe about it. There, that was, I came here. To, I helped some friends move here. And they, they said, you should move in with us. And I said, no, I couldn't possibly live here. I have a life back in Bristol. And then I was like, what life back in Bristol? I'm coming. And it was the best move I ever made. The vibe <laughs> here is amazing. The vibe here is amazing. It's been the best decision I ever yeah. made. And you built a whole life here. You built a whole life here. Yes, I did. Um, it was very interesting because I started to sell clothes in a clothes shop because that's what I knew what to do at the time. I was already I had already eleven years of selling clothes, and so I thought, okay, great. I got a job selling clothes, and you know, a lovely place uh, which I love. And then somehow I met my husband straight away. It's straight away I met my husband, and again. It was like, this is crazy. I'm not staying here, just staying here for a little bit, you know. I cannot tell you how many times I've made my suitcase um, and I wanted to leave, literally. But I was something was holding me back and I just kept following this uh, voice. And today I have, a, you know, I'm my husband for 20 years and I have two children, one uh, 17 and one uh, almost 16. I um, you know, I became a coach, which is what I know how to do best because I always knew I was a coach. I just didn't know how to make it, how to make it happen. At the time, coaching mm. wasn't a word. It was psychology, it was, you know, and I didn't want to study. So then I became a coach and yeah, I never looked back. I absolutely love it in here. This is home now. Yeah, well, I think we arrived in the Brighton at the same time. I think it was 20, just about 20 years or so ago. 
that uh, or 21 years now that I arrived in Brighton and never looked back. Um, So your book, uh, your book, Balance, uh, Living a Life True to Yourself. Now, I love your book. Why should people buy it? What would they get? Wow, so many reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, First, because ever since I was 15 or 16, I've been reading a lot of books, uh, self-help, motivation, psychology, you name it, all of them. And some of them I found they were directed to a very specific niche. So Mm. maybe for the people that they weren't, that they really needed self-help or they were really unwell or they have really got mental problems and things like that. But not for somebody who's just a little bit lost or a little bit asleep or just needs a little pick-me-up, you know. Um, so that's one reason I wanted to write a book that was directed for not only the people that in, they are in extreme situation, but those who are in that sort of middle gap and that they, they, they need this as well. I wanted to write a book that was written in a simple language because, again, mm-hmm. I read a lot of these books and you read a, a paragraph like that. And then you said, what does it mean? You could, he could have just mm. said it in one line. So I wanted to write a book that was simple. Exactly, a lot of jargon, a lot mm. of difficult, difficult words that meant nothing, empty words. So I wanted to write a book that was simple in a structure, simple in words, and simple to understand, and that it doesn't matter what a social class you are, it can get to you. It does not matter which age you are it can get to you. Some of these books, it seems like they are written for super literate people that they need to know about neuroscience and and big words. And what about all of us? And this is the reason I've written this book as well, because I was once that person that needed this book. Mm. And I could see that if I took 100 books you know, I could take a bit of this, a bit of this, a bit of that, but actually I couldn't make one book. <laughs> you know, I needed the book that was a lot simpler, that everything was just be said in one book, nine hundred books. And, you know, I met throughout my life a lot of people from very different um, social status and classes and that. And I realized we all need the same things. Mm. And we are looking for the same things. Why not to speak any universal language that everybody can get it. And also, I've written my book because there are people that they want to come to you and me, and they don't have the time. They really don't have the time. They have to work to make their life happen. Mm -hmm. There are people that they have the time, but they don't have the money. And we know these things, you know, that can be costly. So they don't have the money and they put themselves last, isn't it? And there are people that they have the money and they have the time and maybe they don't have that courage to take that step forward. So I wanted to be this platform. I wanted to be the platform that everyone can jump on, whether you have money or not, time or not, courage or not. I want to be there for you because self-development is not only for certain amount of people. Is for everybody. It is for our children, for our friends, for our grannies, for mm. our fathers. Because why Absolutely. is it for everybody? Because, because we all need help. If you really think that we've been raised by our parents, 
for so many years, being told what to do, we are, hopefully most of us, we get directions, instructions, and all of a sudden, poof, we are being left in there. <laughs> now you are an adult, you do it. And I, I, and I think that's really almost cruel. So, so we all need little help every now and then. We as coaches, we need help, right? Um, and I remember, it's also for teenagers. I remember, I'm very much um, passionate about teenagers getting this book. I know it talks a little bit about sex. Try not to talk much about sex. It, could have been more, <laughs> it does talk about I just sex. Left it. <laughs> <laughs> I left it to a minimum so teenagers could read it too. Because I remember being a teenager. I've been, I'm one of six. Imagine my parents didn't have a lot of time. Nobody had a lot of time. And I remember being lost, um, not mm. knowing what to do with my life. So I want kids to be empowered from the beginning. I want kids, mm-hmm. I want young people to be strong and power to have clarity to you know to what to know where they want to know what they're not going to allow to happen so for all these many reasons I'm more and more and more and the last one is because I this is something that's very close to my heart I always get emotional I wanted to honor the life of my friend Eloise my friend Elo mm. because she always yeah. encouraged me to to live a love and she always encouraged me to be that incredible person I am and yet she didn't allow that for herself she didn't permit give herself the permission to do the same so uh, hopefully this is a, a tribute to her um that we can do it and a legacy to my children so that they know they can do anything anything that they th- can think of I think that's beautiful. There's a lot going on, isn't there, with children and teenagers right now. I think there's a lot happening to disempower children and teenagers. There's a lot, there's a lack of resilience that we're beginning to notice mm. in te- in children, teens, young adults, even well, anyone of any age, where we're losing our resiliency muscles, we're losing our social muscles. And I think a book that helps empower people is an incredible resource. Is a resource, and and also, you mentioned um, Eloise and your dedication in the book says, and it's so beautiful. It says, "Your eyes told me a story. If we don't live, love, and act now, when? Thank you for inspiring me to walk the talk for the laughter and the tears." Mm. Now I can see you're getting emotional because obviously, you know, I remember hearing <laughs> your story. Um, when I went to the uh, to meet you uh, at the beginning of the year. Before we go into this, the one thing that really stood out from your book was how you set it in your kitchen. I just wanted to go there first because I've never read a book where I was almost like transported into your kitchen and you were there preparing a lovely drink, maybe some watermelon and berries. And you were, I was telling you my problems in the book and you were helping guide me through them. Such a beautiful way of doing that. So can you tell me a little bit more about how you came about to offering coaching or therapy in your kitchen? Such a beautiful thing to do. Thank you. Um, 
to write it in my kitchen. I wrote it in my kitchen, by the way, <laughs> as well. Okay. Um, and I yeah. brought you in. Yeah, I wrote it in my kitchen. And although I have an office, but it's just the kitchen has got something special for me. Um, I wrote it in my kitchen and the book happens in my kitchen. And I bring you in my kitchen because this is in reality mm. how I coach. I coach people. Wow. In my kitchen, oh, I have a lovely home. <laughs> yeah, uh, please, please, please. You're yeah, more than more than welcome. Uh, we chat later. Um, I have a lovely home, and yet when the people came through the door, um, and we sort of introduced and exchanged the initial pleasantries, my initial question was, "Would you like a cup of tea?" And they say, sure. So I noticed that they, because I don't stop talking, as you realize. <laughs> Probably I carry what? on talking you? and they sort of follow me. <laughs> and they sort of follow me from the, from the lounge or the office into the kitchen. And as I put the kettle on or, or the coffee machine on, I, I would ask a question and they would stop. They, they will start. To, they, they, they were talking already. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is magic. No way I'm moving from the kitchen. So it didn't, mm. I didn't do it consciously. It just happened that I made a cup of tea and then, oh, I was so engaged and so interested, really interested in the stories. I even didn't think about coming back to the lounge or the office. It okay. was like, oh, tell me more, tell me more. And we just got mm -hmm. sort of engaged into that flow of conversation and into that dance and it was so beautiful I could see magic was happening so the moment and then after a while I would go oh we are in the kitchen and then I would tell myself well this is magic no way I'm gonna interrupt this person now you know let it happen mm. and so I started to let it happen in there and people absolutely uh, do, love it I really love what it do, what do, what do most people come to you for uh, Marina um, very different things, actually. Um, it depends. Some people, they just sort of lost that zest and joy for life and they, 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 mm. they are doing everything well, you know. They come, oh, I've got the lovely home, the lovely husband, the children, the dog, the job, the everything. I do exercise, I don't know how many times a day. And, you know, I eat very well. I drink this and that. Why am I not happy, right? Yeah. So one, yeah. that could be one reason. Why am I not happy? Well, probably it's because they have lost themselves. They've forgotten. In the midst of making all these things happen and putting all these things into place, they have forgotten to actually leave and they have forgotten to actually enjoy themselves and to embrace life and to, and to be themselves, right? And so mm. they start living somebody else's lives. So I agree with that. come I to think, me because I, they... Yeah, I just think that people have become... It's become quite boring a lot of people have become quite boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they're, they're living what I call beige lives and you, you're adding zest. You're adding zest to them. Yes. And, and you know, I, I mean, I always knew I wanted to be a coach, but I, I, when I coach, I've been there. I had everything and I became, and I was zesty and lively and happy all my life. And I became beige too for a while. And I went, oh, my, hell, I don't like this. And I went, Marina, 
if you were once, you can be once, you know, you can be that person again. So I walk my way back all the way to myself. Of course, when you are in a beige situation, you blame your husband, your children, your job, your boss, <laughs> your dog, you know, everything. And then you realize that it was, it's not their fault. It's, it's just you have forgotten, you have fallen asleep on the wheel of that car, which I call life. So that could be one reason. Mm. Another reason is... I have a, a lot of executives that come to me that they have very intense lives and the balance is not there. You know, they're working crazy hours and then they get home and they have to lead their different lives at home. They never have time to quieten their mind. So I help them to put a lot of strategies and tools in place. So they sort of put the energy, the mm. body, and the thoughts all in alignment together. So they have this sort of inner and outer balance. And then they realize, because they come to me at the point of breaking down, I can't do this job anymore. And then they realize that actually, once you have a little bit of balance in your life and you are well in yourself, when the man is right, so his world. So I made the man right. And then all of a sudden, oh, I can deal with this. And I can deal with other. And I can deal with the other. So, so this is another type of person that come to me. Many different reasons, really. Many different mm. reasons. I can't tell you I, one. I love um, the falling asleep at the, at the wheel analogy. You know, we've all done it. We all, fall on, we all fall asleep at the wheel or we become passengers and we let other people drive our cars, drive our life. I love that analogy uh, in your book. Yes. Um, that is um, throughout the book, hopefully. So if you are thinking about reading this book, you're going to find this analogy throughout the book. For me, it's very obvious. We all drive in this thing called mm. life and every now and then it happens to all of us. And you might be 13, you might be 46, you might be 86. It doesn't, it does not matter. And you wake up and you're very much aware. And then all of a sudden, you know, different time of your life and it happens again. It takes, it's easy. It is very easy. Anyone can do it. And, but as you know, and I don't say this word slightly, but, but as you know, it does take commitment, dedication, and awareness. And above all, it takes self-love to be in control of it's not people will try to control things and it's like well how could you control things if you can't even control yourself you know so let's mm -hmm, control our lives but not controlling it just by actually finding that in a balance and i believe you find that in a balance when when you start living that life that is true to you this is why we get how lost. important is that yeah. oh my neighbor got it a bmw i'm gonna buy a bmw <laughs> You know, yeah. 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 So people are often not go, living go. the lives we true have to debate. themselves. What, yeah. What, what, what trip, what advice would you give to someone who's not living a life true to themselves? It's going to cost you a lot. If you don't live a life that is true to yourself, it's going to cost you your life. It's going to cost you your health. It's going to cost you your, your mental and physical well-being, the happiness of your children mm. and your spouses and partners, the happiness of your friends. It's going to cost you your life. So think about whether it is worth it or not. 
and think, for who are you doing this? For what? What is it that you're getting back? Is it worth it? For what are you doing this? For who? Because at the end of the day, we own, it shows, everyone knows when somebody is not living a life that is true to themselves. And that means you are living at not even 50% of your capacity. So what a shame. You have one life, one shot. It's more evident than ever after pandemic that anything can happen at any time. Uh, so have that conversation with you. When you live that is a life true to you, people love you for who you are. Without mm. buts, without ifs, without getting better, they're just going to adore you for that person that you are. We're not mending necessary. We're not improvement. When you live that life that is true to you, your heart sings. You know, your yeah. eyes tell a story. And it, it does not matter. And it, this is not about your husband or your children or your employees or employers. Or, this is about... This is about you living that life true to yourself, regardless of who is next to you in that journey. So you may is have people what, in that journey that not necessarily yeah. go. Is this what happened to Elo in the beginning of your book? You, you, you is that dedication? what happened to Elo? Yeah. Yeah. Elo was a person that was very strong, very empowered woman, but for the people. Yes, of course. He she did not do it herself because of fear. Um, what people could think about, you know, society. Society also sort of put a lot of restraints in her. Whereas I was in the same position, similar families. I was, I broke all the molds, you know. Mm. So she encouraged me to all, the, all these things. I believe with Elo. She had a huge potential, and I wonder what she asked herself last minute before she died, because I know what I will, I'm going to ask myself. I'm going to look back. I'm going to say, what do I regret not doing? What did I didn't do that I wish I would have done? Because now I don't have time, you know? What would I have done? Who would I have kissed? Who would I have, who would, would I have forgiven? You know, what are all the things I wanted to do and never had time to do it? What a shame. And I mm. wonder if she asked herself that question. But what I do know she asked for last time I saw her. Because she was very strong and she never let out a bit of vulnerability. And as you see, I cry, I laugh, all at the same time sometimes. <laughs> But uh, she would not, she was, uh, you would ask her, how are you? I'm, I'm well, I'm good. I can deal with this. I'm a strong, I'm this, I'm, everything's fine. And of course, I believed her for most parts. Then she had cancer and she got amputated a lot of parts of her body. I can deal with this. Don't worry. You know, this is nothing. I'm overcome this and then I'm going to take life by storm. She would never ask for help. In fact, when I went there to ever help her to get dressed, she was like, she would not allow that to happen. Okay. She was always like, yes, I can do this. I'm a very strong woman. And then the last time I saw her alive, I saw a very different person. 
I saw a person who was asking for love, for physical touch and connection. So I went to see her in her flat. She just had a transplant and nobody was allowed to go in and out. Uh, for more, nine, more than nine months, she was alone in that house, only her husband and, and her sister and herself. So because I came from England and I would come often to see her, uh, she allowed me in. And, and, but we would always keep the distance. And this was well before pandemic. So she asked me for a kiss and a hug. And, I, and she reached her hand and I didn't give it to her. And I didn't give it to her because I said to her, look, I, I come from another country. I've got small children. They are very ill all the time. Something can happen to, to you. You know, this is too risky and, and it's not necessary. But deep down, I was like, but and anyway, you don't need it because you're so strong and powerful. This is just a silly moment that you're having. <laughs> uh, so, no, I'd rather not. So I didn't give her, give her that kiss and that hug and that squeeze. And she kept reaching. It was very hard, very, very hard moment for me. But when I was leaving, she looked at me and it was that look that I describe in my book. That look of, if not now, when? It's time to leave a love. But I guess for her it was too late. Because... Next time I saw her, she was in a hospital bed and she just didn't look like herself anymore. And of course, I hugged her and squeezed her and, and I gave her all my love in there because it did not matter anymore. And at that moment, I have that bang, that, that moment, that realization, what's, what's going on with us, human? What are we doing? You know, it's not only her, it's many other people, you know, it's all of us. The, the ones that are alive, the ones that are ill, the ones that are dead, they're almost about dying. What are we doing with our lives? We have come here to live and love, to embrace life, to make mistakes. We don't have came here, we haven't come here to be perfect. We have come here to yes. live life and what we are not living life. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I had a moment like, Marina, now is always the perfect time. Don't be a second elo. You could be next. You could be our next ex statistic. Your friends could be next. Your parents could be next. Your friends and your brothers could be next. So, and something came to me and said to me, you have the responsibility as someone that you that loves living and that loves life and have that power of inviting people to live better lives you have the responsibility to spread this word around and not only for a month but until the end of your days and that's when the book I guess I didn't know at the time I was gonna write the book but that's when I guess the book idea was already brewing it was like it's not enough to have one client at the time you know time is going and we don't have forever because I don't know if you have noticed, Paul, people, we think, all of us, and if you ask one of your clients, how many times do you think you have left? And they go, oh, plenty. How many good years do you really, really think you have left? <laughs> and they think, we think, we always have more time than that we actually have, right? 
And Absolutely, so I was yeah. like, no, the time is now. Yeah. And I'm going to do it now because, of course, my logic and mind, well, you have little children and you don't have time and you have to see clients and da 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 da, da. And I was like, no. Now is always the perfect time. So I put everything aside and I just made it happen for Elo, for you, for me, for all of us who have come here to to live. I, I, life is hard. It is hard. Mm. But I... I'm not going to believe that we have come here to live a hard life. We can live a hard life, absolutely, but we don't have to live a hard life. And people like you and I are these platforms, these bridges, these tools that we are born to offer these people, these opportunities and tools for them to live the life that they can have because they can. And if you have done it and I have done it, surely everyone can. I love that. that you know, it's, and it's in a way, if you think, you know, your work, you know, Ella lives on through you. You know, she lives on through your work. She lives on through your book, you know. So, as I said, but it is a reminder, isn't it? And I remember talking to you about this, is that it's really easy to think that we have this time, that we have plenty of time. Our dreams can wait. Our future, future self can pick up our dreams and go and do it. And it's, and it's not true. There is no future self that's going to come in on a white horse and ride in and scoop us up and save our lives. If that's, if that's what we think, then somehow we're a victim and we're likely to stay the mm. victim. Um, so I love your philosophy. Correct. Um, what's next for you? What, what's next for you uh, with your, you know, your, your coach, you're now an author. Uh, what's next? Um, I don't know. I like not to make a lot of future plans. You know, I like to live life. Okay. So what next for me is that I'm going to go out tonight <laughs> and I'm going to have a great okay. time. But um, <laughs> that's my next for me. I love to live in the moment because, oh, as much as I can, obviously, uh, within mm. responsibility. Because the reality is, uh, you know, if we plan, 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 and then we get very frustrated, these plans don't happen. And I very much, um, I try to ground myself and live every day as it happens. Do I have a lot of dreams? Absolutely. Are they going to happen? Absolutely, they will. When? I don't know. Whenever they are ready to happen, whenever I'm ready. What I'm not going to do is to make them happen at the cost of me not living my life. You know, wow. what a message, so, what a message. Yes. I love that. And sometimes, and, and you know what, what I have learned, if anything, writing this book, what I have learned, it doesn't show because it's too bright, but what I have <laughs> learned, if anything, is, is that things take time, much more time than we mm. ever think they are going to take. So have a lot of dreams, have clarity in what you want. Start taking little action, actions every single day to where you want to go. Whenever you get a, something holds you, it's fine. Think that of it as a roundabout. It might take longer, but keep carrying on. So next for me is um, to start selling my book everywhere. Um, publicize my book because at the moment I've been busy. Ever since the book came out, I've been busy with life and with clients. So I didn't make that a priority number one. Because I said I, I leave and then mm -hmm. 
things are outside me, not the other way around. So sell my book everywhere. Uh, I'm going to do a book presentation in my garden, probably, I haven't got the yet, date yet, but probably the 26th of um, June here in Brighton. Um, so I'll let you know about it. Then I've got a a deck of cards. A deck of cards are coming out soon. I wrote this deck of cards. Um, they are, they are living a life through to yourself. They're balance mantras, you know, balance for everyday mantras, hundred mantras for everyday balance. Yeah. And there's a little instructions of how to read them and how to work on them. Um, so I wrote them last year. And somehow then I was busy with life. So it was a lot. I need, they need to come out. They need to come out. Now I'm ready. So I'm going to materialize that. I'm going to make that happen. So my cards, my book, absolutely my clients. I love my one-to-ones. I would love to be in a lot more podcast. Yeah. I love to coach teenagers. And I love to go on a lot of parties, holidays, <laughs> sunny spaces, meet a lot of people. These are my plans. Enjoy life, enjoy family, and enjoy everything that is uh, in my hands, yeah. Sounds, sounds amazing. And so, Marina, if people wanted to find you, how can they find you? Yes. Um, my website is marinasestforlife.com. My email address is marinasestforlife at gmail.com. And then I am in social media as Marina Sest for Life in um, Facebook, um, Instagram, in LinkedIn. I am as Marina Fernandez Julian. Um, and here in my house in Brighton, in my kitchen. My kitchen is open for everyone. I'm very accessible. <laughs> love it love it um thank you so much marina for coming on to the show um i want to say thank you to everyone thank you so much for listening i hope marina's message has resonated with you as much as it has me and i look forward to connecting with you in the next episode have an amazing day mm-hmm.